0: You're listening to Grace Seal Beach Sermons. If you'd like to know more about our church, go to gracesealbeach.org. Okay, hey. Good morning, everyone. It's great to be here with you guys and just to be able to open up the Word of God with you. It's, it's always an honor and a joy for, for me to be able to, to preach. Um, I am biased. I love 11 o'clock service uh, because... Our high school friends, our middle school friends are here, so um, it's great to see you guys. You know, I've been up since like six today, and so I'm I'm here, but uh, (laughs) all right, well, I just wanted to uh, begin our our time together this morning with with an illustration. And so I wanted to talk about the Sistine Chapel. Has anyone in here been to the Sistine Chapel? Oh, there's a lot more in here. Wow. Congratulations. I hope to, to see it someday in person. But the Sistine Chapel is known for some of its, its beautiful artwork and murals, right? And out of the many different works of art that are on display in the Sistine Chapel, one in particular sticks out to me for the purposes of our time together in the Word this morning. And namely, it's Michelangelo's painting called The Creation of Adam. Right here it is over here. In this painting there's an image of God on one side and then Adam on the grass and and I've conveniently uh censored him today for for today's illustration. And so if you're looking there and you're wondering like, man, that's really a horrible fig work. Like that was I added that and then that cloud too. Um just for the sake of today's illustration. <laughs> so there's my contribution to, to modern art, uh, with modern art. But here in the heart of this image is, is something that I want to talk to all of us uh, together about this morning. You see, one of the most beautiful aspects of this painting is its portrayal of God's interaction in his relationship with Adam. In this painting, we see God coming out of this portal here. And that's my best words for it. Side note, I'm not an artist, so I don't know. Uh, but he's coming out of this portal with all majesty and just pay attention to God's reach in this image, okay? Here we see God fully extended, reaching out to man, arm drawn out with great extremity. And then on the flip side, right, there's Adam sitting leisurely on the grass and and he's reaching out to God too. And, And typically whenever I see this work of art, the first thing that I notice is Adam's posture. You see, unlike God with his arms uh, uh, fully extended, Adam's arms are not fully extended. They're actually relaxed. They're bent at the elbow. And, and some artists have even pointed out his visual restraint. One of the main things that sticks out to me is the juxtaposition or the comparison between God's connection with Adam and then Adam's connection with God. It's interesting, right? Well, What I'm getting at this morning is this. How much does this resonate with our relationship with God. Like on one side, when we really take a moment to think about the nature of God that is laid throughout all of scripture, we see an almighty God, creator of all good things, constantly throughout human history, providing a means for his creation, his people to commune with him. And then on the flip side, how often have we as humanity, created by God like this image, have chosen to respond to God in this way, how often has God presented himself to us, whether that is through an answered prayer or through the reading of his word, and we re-engage God with restraint or reluctance. And so I thought in the spirit of contributions to art that no one asked for, I figure that in many ways, I'm more tempted to do this. And so maybe, maybe I'm not like Adam where I'm reaching out to God, but maybe my finger is maybe pointed upwards like this. Right? Or even to add to that, maybe not only is my finger up, but my head is pointed this way. And so I hold it this way, take a picture. This is art. Maybe this will be on a a ceiling someday. Maybe we could do this in Surfside Chapel. Uh, I'm serious about that. Uh, I figure in many ways, this is how we're tempted to react to God with reluctance. And so this is essentially where we are picking up uh, in our study together here in Mark this morning. You see, this morning we are going to talk about hearing from the word of God and not just hearing it, but accepting it and adopting it and calling, and our calling to faithfully share this word to the world around us. If you remember last week, Pastor Bob introduced us to the situation that Jesus was facing at the time in Mark chapter three. In two different instances, there were groups of people that, that Jesus should have been able to lean on for support, but they don't offer it to him. Because on one end in Mark chapter three, we talked about how Jesus's ministry began to pick up to the point where he was starting to draw lots of attention, right? Crowds were growing and his family didn't respond with, oh, you go Jesus, that's my boy, that's my son. They don't say that. But in Mark 3:21, they say he's out of his mind. Then on, 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 in another instance, we read about how Jesus was unable to count on support for his ministry from the religious leaders in, uh, of his day, namely the scribes, because they didn't hear Jesus' teachings, they didn't see his miracles being performed, they didn't, as a result of seeing what Jesus was doing, raise their hands and saying, praise God Almighty, he's doing it. On the contrary, in Mark 3.22, the scribes said, this guy's possessed. And so the question that we're left with in in continuation from last week is why do they they respond this way? Why do the people, after seeing all these different things that Jesus has done, why do they respond in this manner? After all, if, if we were to witness people being delivered from demonic possession or if we were to witness people being healed or cleansed from disease, wouldn't we respond to Jesus's message or ministry differently than his family or the scribes? Maybe. Well, that's where where our passage picks up and continues. Mark chapter four begins with Jesus attracting so big a crowd that he has to preach from a boat. He's pushed from the shore onto the boat and he's sharing a parable and he opens up with the words, listen. Okay, and really quick aside, as I imagine this scene that Mark is describing here, I think of Jesus saying from a boat, listen, as he's pushed offshore, and then someone on the shore going like, what did he just say? (laughs) And so the theme of listening and hearing will really become central to our message time this morning as Jesus unpacks this parable of the sower, Jesus starts off by saying, listen, and then proceeds to share this parable about a sower who is scattering seeds. And then he talks about four particular soils on which the seeds fell on and four different reactions that the seeds had with those soils. And so just to picture this together as a congregation, the first soil that Jesus speaks of is described as the hardened path. Jesus says that the first seed that falls upon the path, uh, the, the path is too hard to receive the seed. And what ends up happening is that the seed gets eaten up by birds. Second soil Jesus talks about is rocky ground. And it's in these rocky places that the soil is too close to the surface so that when the sun comes up, the plants get scorched. Thirdly, Jesus points out that another set of seeds fall amongst the soil where thorns exist. And as the seed starts to grow, It's choked out eventually by the thorns. And then lastly, we learn about this fourth soil. And this one works, right? It receives the seed unlike the first soil. It it sets its roots deep. It's given ample amount of space to grow so much so that it yields a bountiful amount of grain. And that's how the passage ends or the parable ends. And so after Jesus shares this parable to the great crowds that were surrounding him, he closes this parable by saying this. He says, he who has ears, let him hear. He who has ears, let him hear. And this is significant because the beginning of the parable and now the end of the parable are now tied to this theme of listening and hearing. And what's somewhat somewhat ironic about all of this is that as Jesus begins and ends this parable with a listen or or hear what I'm saying, his disciples later on in verse 10, when Jesus was away from the crowds are like, hey, Jesus, what are these parables about? And in verses 11 through 12, Jesus responds with this. He says, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables so that they may indeed see, but not perceive. They may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And perhaps one of the stickier parts of this passage Jesus gives his disciples a response that reveals a distinction that they've been given as his followers. To you has been given the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for those who are on the outside, everything remains a parable. Jesus goes on to quote Isaiah chapter 6, recalling a time when, when God called upon the prophet Isaiah and sent him out to be a messenger to the Israelites. And despite the fact that God knew that the people would be hardened to his message, nevertheless, one of the things that we see God doing repeatedly all throughout human history, God uses the faithful to present his word to the faithless. And one of the questions that came to my mind, uh, and maybe for several of you as you hear this passage today, may, may be thinking to yourselves, will all of this talk about secrets? And, and inside and outside, is Jesus creating some sort of exclusive type of club where if you didn't know the secret handshake or you didn't know the secret password, you couldn't get in, right? And then that, that really stuck out to me because um, this may surprise you, but I was not popular in high school, um, a shocker, <laughs> but... <laughs> I got sympathy at 8 o'clock, but I got laughs at 11. But anyways, I wasn't popular, so I constantly felt like I was on the outside. Like, there, I didn't know the secret password. I didn't know how to knock. I, I don't know still what's on the other side of that, that door. Um, so I, I felt like I was on the outside. But I, I want to assure you that that's not what's going on in this passage here this morning. I'm going to clarify why. Because for starters, the word secret that is used here, the word that is used for secret here in Mark is more close to the word that we know as mystery, which helps build clarity in regards to what Jesus may be saying, because a mystery is something left to be discovered, something left to be found, while a secret at times tends to connote something that is purposely hidden behind the veil. But even more so, How do we know that Jesus wasn't creating some sort of secret society? because we know that he wasn't doing this because in context, it's apparent that Jesus isn't keeping a secret for those who are not his followers. Because for the past few weeks, we've been talking about how Jesus's ever-growing ministry was bursting at the seams, so much so that he's delivering a parable from a boat to multitudes of people on the shore. And we know for a fact that at least a segment of the people that had witnessed Jesus's miracles, heard his teachings, and so on, well, they rejected Jesus. And so in that sense, when Jesus says things like he does in verse 11, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom, but for those outside, everything is in parables. It's more like saying, because you have accepted the message, you have been given the secret of the kingdom. But because you have rejected the message, everything is in parables, or it remains in parables. So in this sense, at least in this passage, those who are outside of Jesus's conversation are outside based on their own volition. If you have quick fingers, you can turn over to Isaiah chapter 6. I'm going to talk about it. Otherwise, just listen in. But in Isaiah chapter 6, God sends the prophet Isaiah to deliver a message to a people who would ultimately reject it. Why? Because their hearts were hardened. Because they didn't care for the message of God. Because they were stubborn. In this sense, the message that Isaiah is commissioned to give wasn't the catalyst. It wasn't the cause for their hardness. How do we know that? Well, we read the whole passage. Looking at Isaiah chapter six, starting in verse 11, as God tells Isaiah that the people that you're going to bring my message to are a people who are going to deafen their ears and blind their eyes. What does Isaiah say? He pleads with God in verse 11. How long, O oh Lord? How long are they going to continue to be deafened to your message? How long will they be stubborn to not hear what you have to say? And in verse 11, we hear God respond by saying that their stubbornness will only last until they've lost everything. Listen to what Isaiah 611 says. These people will remain hardened until cities lie waste without inhabitants and houses without people and the land is a desolate waste and the Lord removes people far away. And so so on and so forth. Friends, that's how stubborn the Israelites were in Isaiah, and that's how stubborn the people were here in, in Jesus' time here in Mark. And it was a seventeenth uh, century minister and author Matthew Henry who simply said it. Uh, he said, There are none so deaf, there are none so deaf as those that will not hear, none so blind as those that will not see. Friends, I have a question for you this morning. Serious question. Have you ever been too stubborn to hear a voice of reason? Have you ever been too stubborn to hear a voice of reason? I had to think way back, a couple months ago, um, but I think I can remember at least one time in my life uh, when I was too stubborn to hear a voice of reason. And my mom's here too, so she could attest to my lack of stubbornness in my life. Um, but about a couple months ago, uh, my sweet Annie and I, we decided we were going to save a bit of money, right? We were going to take on the task of installing a toilet on our own could do this, YouTube, um, <laughs> we decided that we were going to not only install one toilet, but we're going to do two toilets. And not only are we going to sell two toilets, but we're going to do it in the afternoon after we pick up the kids from school, after work is done, because we're ambitious people. We just like to get stuff done. And so the first toilet goes in, and shocking, it, it's one of the smoothest home repairs we've ever done. It's great. We followed the instructions, no one got upset, no one was screaming at inanimate objects. It was, for all intents and purposes, it was smooth. And then we started with the second toilet. for whatever reason, it was a different brand, so the instructions were different, and, and it was a little bit more stubborn to put in, but after about an hour or so, we finally get it in, only for me to notice that the flushing handle looked a little off to me, right? And so just really quick, I just want to settle a debate. What looks more normal to you? Thumbs up. By the way, by the way, please, please don't use the bathroom in the lobby for now until after the sermon. But um, what looks more normal to you is does this, if your handle rested like this, would this look normal to you? No. Okay, no. What about this, right? This looks, this looks normal, right? Well, tell you what, in the Ricca Franca household, our handle looks like this, okay? <laughs> and, and you have to pull it in order to flush it, which I thought was weird Okay. And so, so, so we finished our, our, second toilet install. The handle was pointed downwards and, and I kept telling Annie, I was like, this isn't the way it's supposed to be, but she kept saying, it's fine. It's fine. There's no need to change it. There, we don't need to do that. You know what? The, the kids are hungry. We should probably fix some dinner at this point. We should probably get ready to go to sleep eventually. And so I was like, yeah, yeah, sure. Okay. And then I started grabbing my tools, right? I grabbed more tools in my bag, and I started to try to unscrew the handle, but I couldn't. It was just sealed in there, really good. And in hindsight now, I probably would admit, it didn't look like it was supposed to be fixed. Um, But I went at it anyways. And my sweet Annie kept on inserting her wisdom with every groan and complaint that was coming out of my my heart, my diaphragm. Um, She would say things like, babe, just leave it, just leave it. You're going to break it. Or or she would even say, you're going to create more work for yourself eventually by doing this, by messing it up. And confidently, I kicked back. I listened. I was like, I I think I got this. I'll tell you what, friends. It wasn't until I heard a loud crack, uh, (laughs) I decided to put my tools down. I closed everything up. I was like, this is good. This is good. So if you guys ever want to come over and uh, use our toilet just to, to enjoy what toilets do nowadays, um, you're welcome to come over and try our toilet. Uh, But I tell you what, friends, um, there are none so as deaf as those that will not hear. None so blind as those that will not see. I love how one author put it when she said that the parable of the soils that we're reading here today seems to reveal why Jesus's words are not having an impact on people. It's not because the words are deliberately confusing, but because they're falling on deaf ears. And so going back to our passage today, as the disciples in Mark 4, verses 10 through 11, they're digging deeper to understand Jesus's parables. Jesus willingly goes on to interpret the parable by saying this, that in the parable of the sower, Jesus says the seed represents the word. This is the word of God that has been given to you. And then there's the soil, which represents an individual's response to the word, the seed. And so in any case, what we know about the word that was sown amongst the different soils in Jesus's parables is that this first type of soil that Jesus speaks of, like we said earlier, represents the hardened heart. In Mark chapter four, it says that the farmer sows the word of God and he points out that some are like this seed that falls along the path where the word is sown. And as soon as that that word sits there, as soon as it's heard, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them because the word never really gets beyond the surface. The second seed, as the story goes, falls upon rocky soil. Jesus said there are others like this, the seed that is sown in rocky places. They'll hear the word and at once they receive it with joy. But since they have no roots, since they have no foundation, they only last a short amount of time. Jesus paints this picture when he says that the people that are similar to this rocky soil, when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, what do they do? They quickly fall away revealing that there isn't a connection, there isn't a foundation, no depth and adherence to the word. The third type of soil that Jesus speaks of is one mixed with thorns. Verse 18 says, still others like seeds sown amongst thorns, they hear the word, but the worries of life, the seedfulness of wealth and desires for other things come and choke the word, making it unfruitful. The word, the message in this sense, doesn't mature. Kind of like the story of the rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10. He hears the word, right? This person comes before the Lord, he he hears the word, he knows the word, but his concern or attachment for other things blocks him from responding, from following after God. And so all of this leads us to the final soil, which Jesus describes saying, but the seeds that were sown on the good soil are the ones who what? hear the word and accept it. And as a result, they bear fruit. 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. The key words being hear the word and accept it. And so how are we to understand? How are we to respond to Jesus' parable here in Mark chapter 4 today? Well, the first thing I'd like to talk about is, for starters, one of the main reasons why Jesus shares this parable is to give his followers hope in the face of dismal reception or rejection of God's word. He's actually giving them hope. This is why we spent so much time establishing the context surrounding Jesus within this moment. There were those who witnessed Jesus doing amazing things. And in all of his dealings, we've seen the crowds grow, and yet there were still those who rejected and refused Jesus and his teachings for many reasons. And one of Jesus' goals in sharing this parable was to give his followers hope that in due time, if we are faithful in continuing to scatter the message of the word that we believe, that we accept to the world around us, yes, there's going to be people who reject the message, but our call during this time is to be faithful, intending to the soil, so that to to those who receive the word in a manner like the fourth soil, and if not, to get people to respond in the way like the fourth soil does. The parable of the sower is really an exciting passage as it begins to open up a series of parables that Jesus shares about the kingdom of God, a place and time where God's rule and reign will eventually come into fruition. This was a time that the crowds here in Mark were beginning to see as people were being delivered from demonic oppression, they were being healed, they were being restored in Jesus' name. Why? Because God is ruler. The parable of the sower is an encouragement for all of us believers to remain faithful in our acceptance to God's word, knowing that in due time, we will see God bring people to himself. God will do that. But secondly, As much as I I believe that the parable of the sower addresses the need to scatter the word of God faithfully to the world around us, this this parable actually calls for us to pause and do a deep reflection on how we are receiving the word of God regularly. How are you or how have you responded to God's message as you hear it week after week after week, church, church? I think it'd be unwise to hear the message concerning these, these various soils and go like, oh yeah, yeah, one is bad, two is bad, three is bad, oh, four is good, I'm just going to be good soil. Right? That would be a failure in us trying to interpret or apply the message of God this morning. And so instead of just moralistically picking and choosing which kind of soil you are, have you ever stopped to consider the ways in which, though, we, we, we know where we ought to be, right? Soil number four, soils one through three actually represent realistic challenges, realistic difficulties that could serve to strip our attentions or our hearts away from God on a daily basis, to blind us from hearing. His message to stop us from being able to receive the beautiful message of of the kingdom of God, and I'm no farmer, right? That's not why they hired me here. I'm not a farmer. I'm no farmer, but I imagine that soil that is good it doesn't stay good without tending. Like like good soil can get hardened, right? Weeds and thorns can quickly find its way into good soil and kill the crop that exists. Good soil needs to be tended to. And this is why emphasis was placed by Jesus on the topic of listening and hearing to stress the importance of not only hearing the word, but accepting it and adopting it into our lives. And notice, friends, how the seed doesn't change at all in all of this. The word of God doesn't change, but this parable shows us that the word of God is rendered ineffective, at least in this sense, if we harden our hearts to its message, if we don't take time to learn from it or understand it, and if we try to dualistically try to apply this message that comes from the word and say, oh, hey, I think this message from the world world's gonna work really well with this word. It doesn't work that way. And church, how often have we tried to do that? I know that for many of us, or at least for myself, especially those who have been coming to church for a good chunk of our lives, there's a typical response, right? Where we come to church, we hear a message that challenges us to trust in God or to lay aside our idols in our lives. And then we leave this place here on Sundays thinking, oh, that was a really good sermon. Or I'm so glad we sang that song because I really love that song. And then we go for a whole nother week before we even hear from the word of God again. Friends, God gave us his word so we could hear his voice. God gave us his word so we could know his will. This is why he gave us his word. Hebrews 3.15 says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And so Christians here this morning, never forget that we are in a relationship we are in a relationship with a living and real God. A God who desires to commune with us, to have us ever learn and ever respond to his word. We are in a relationship with God. He's real. Something that I like to tell the students all the time, it's, it's like any other relationship that you have in this life. If you want it to grow, you gotta spend time. You gotta learn. God desires to commune with us. And so finally, if you find yourself hearing this message from Mark, and you hear it from a mindset or feeling of being on the outside looking in, this message that you're hearing this morning and and that we're even sharing to you right now is the same message that every single Christian needs to hear on a regular basis. It's a message that humbles us and causes us to fall down and to submit. It's a message that teaches us that there indeed is sin that exists in this world and it's part of our nature as human beings to be drawn, to be allured, to be desirous of pursuits that aren't in line with God. Many times the Bible teaches us and we've found that the pursuit of sin leaves us feeling empty, sapping the life from us like we see displayed in these first three soils. Sin often leaves us callous towards God's voice rebellious to his will, reluctant to follow. And somehow it's only in Jesus Christ where we have true freedom. Because even as he's called us to daily submit our lives to him, we have freedom in the hope and knowledge that Jesus Christ has already paid for the penalty of our sins, past, present, and future. And so friends, as you hear this message, As you feel on the outside looking in, have you ever thought to inquire deeper, to pose your questions, to pose your rebuttals, to engage in further discussion with someone about this message or this faith that we profess to believe in? One last quote I want to share with you guys before we close today is this. The only way parables can be understood at the deepest level is for one to dare to become involved in their world to be willing to risk seeing God with new eyes and to allow that vision to transform one's being. Friends, this is the truth that God extends to each and every single one of us in this room today. And the question really does become, are you willing to respond? Are you willing to dig deeper? Are you willing to inquire and allow God to teach us through his word? Do we have ears to hear? Let's pray. Sovereign God, I pray that you help us to hear your word and to respond. Lord, meet us in our inquiries like you did with the disciples and help us in our unbelief as you have in the past. Lord, help the word to be firmly planted in our lives so much so that we find no satisfaction apart from you, no contentment apart from the goodness within your creation and no rest until that rest is in you. Lord, help us to be faithful and bold to proclaim these truths even as it's rejected, even as it's despised, and even as it hurts us deep within our souls. Thank you, God, for your goodness to us. We trust all of this to you. Amen.